in just a little bit, an image is going to come up on the screen, not yet, but in a minute, there's going to be an image that's going to come up, and, and I want you to, when you see it, think about what it is, and that's your answer to, to, uh, to this, in this, in just a moment, a question I'm going to ask, okay? So, uh, here, here's the image. It's coming up, hopefully. Where'd my image go? There it is. All right, look at it. First thing that pops in your head. I don't don't say anything. Just just quietly look at it. Some of you're like, oh boy. All right, go away. Image go away. There we go. Bye bye. All right, how many of you saw a rabbit? Raise your hand. First thing you saw was a rabbit. All right, how many of you saw a duck? First thing you saw was a duck. Duck one in the first service too. Um, all right, let's throw that back up there again. Uh, how many of y'all see both? I, I, I literally had somebody after first service say that they saw neither, and they saw a dog. I'm like, what? <laughs> Maybe he kind of looks like Kirby, I guess, which is my dog. But anyway, um, I, so, so, so some of you, now how many of you cannot see, you can only see one or the other, you don't see both? Is there anybody like that? There's a few. That's okay. That's cool. So, so perspective. Perspective has everything to do with this picture. And whether or not you see a dog, you see a, a cat, or you see a duck or a rabbit. Um, and uh, I don't know why, but as I was thinking about this, and this is just an offshoot because I have whatever. Um, I, I was thinking about uh, Elmer Fudd and, uh, and, and uh, bugs. And, you know, when, they're, when they have that, that whole scene of, of wabbit. It's wabbit season, no duck season, wabbit season. Uh, anyway, that's one of my favorites. Just a little insight into my soul. Um, I, don't know, I don't know what you saw in that picture, and maybe some of you, that's going to haunt you for the rest of the day, and I didn't mean for that to happen, but it's possible. But perspective has everything to do with that. And while it doesn't matter whether you see a dog or a cat or you see a duck or a rabbit, it doesn't really matter what... What, honestly, we need to come to understand is that perspective means so much in relationship to who we are and who God is and what we see and what we believe and what we think about who God is and who we are. And, and I wonder in, in our lives and, in, and especially in, in this day and time where Everybody says truth is relative, and you make up your own truth, and your truth may not be my truth, and my truth may not be your truth, and it doesn't really matter. It just matters that you believe in something, or even now, people are saying it doesn't even matter if you believe in anything. Your perspective is huge. And here's what I believe very clearly from Scripture, that your perspective is influenced by the condition of your soul. What's going on in your soul who you are on the inside, because every single one of us is, is a soul, a living soul. We have a body. Our body is not who we are. Our body is the house of our soul. Your soul is who you are, and every single human being has a soul. That's what dis- that really is what defines us from anything else in this world is you have a soul. You are a soul. So the question that I have to ask you is, again, how's your soul? You need to be evaluating that. You need to be thinking about that. You need to be diving into that reality of how's your soul. The condition of your soul has everything to do with the decisions that you make in your life. Not just now. 
but for, for the rest of your life that God gives you here on this planet, and not just here, but for eternity. That's what the Bible teaches, that the condition of your soul has a direct impact on your eternal life. And so, how's your soul? How's your soul? There's a, there's a verse that, that is one of my life verses, and Paul writes in it, and, it's, and you can hear him saying it, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. And then he says something that's so mind-boggling, to die is gain. To, to die is blessing. To die is, is, is good. To die is, is, a, is something that, I, that I'm looking forward to. It's, it's gain to me. For to me to live is Christ. To die is gain, Paul says. How in the world can Paul have that kind of perspective on death? That kind of perspective on life? How, how is it that, that Paul is able to say, for to me to live is Christ. To die, that's gain. Well, as we continue to look at Matthew chapter 5, and, and, and we're going to dive into the last of the Beatitudes today, there, there's a question that I want to ask you as you're turning to Matthew chapter 5. Ask yourself this question. If, if you were arrested, if you were arrested today, if, somebody was to, if they were to come in here today and arrest every single one of us for following Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? So as you're turning to, to Matthew chapter 5, we're, we're going to come to the last of the Beatitudes in verse 10. And, and in this Beatitude, there's really a plot twist because honestly, as, as, as you read these other Beatitudes and you read, blessed are the poor, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted, blessed are the meek, they'll inherit the earth, blessed are the hungry and the thirsty for righteousness, they'll be satisfied. All these these good things. You would almost think that, that Jesus is, is going to write, blessed are those who are striving to live these attitudes, for they shall have wonderful, happy, problem-free lives. Like that, that's almost what I think we, we and especially in, in our Western culture, have this idea that if I just do a, B, C, D, and I do it in the right order, and I do it in the right way, then everything's going to work out right for me, good for me, and it's not going to be where I'm going to have a problem-free life. So that's not what Jesus writes here at all. And this is the plot twist, because look at verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Now that word persecuted, if, if you begin to look at it and, and, and you begin to see what the description of it is, you might start to go, wow, that sounds okay. Because in, in, in the original language, it means to be pursued, to be sought after. And, and we might read that and go, well, that makes sense. If I live for God, then I'm going to be pursued. I'm going to be sought after. And people are going to look at my life and they're going to go, wow. And, and, and they're, going to, they're going to be drawn to Jesus. The problem is, is that that's only part of how you define persecuted. Jesus goes on to, to make more of this whole thing of 
persecution and what does this mean? What does this look like? What does this mean for you who want to follow Jesus? Verse 11, he says, blessed are you when others revile you. That word just sounds ugly, doesn't it? Like, oh, I'm going to revile you. Um, That just doesn't even sound pleasant. It's not pleasant. The idea is is that they're accusing you of things that are evil, things that are wrong, things that are are just, are are really uh, on the level of of, of just pure evil, reviling you, accusing you of, of things. And he goes on, he says, they will persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So persecution is, yes, being pursued and sought after, but the idea is for the purpose of pushing you away, getting you out of the picture, and and really doing harm to you. And the idea of persecution is is that they want to, and and it says here, those, so we don't know who those are, but those people want to destroy your life. They want to ruin your life. And what we know from reading about Jesus and reading about those that he's speaking to, his apostles and those disciples, that the those that are going to persecute them are family, our friends, our enemies, our people that, that also say they follow Jesus, the Romans, that they're under their boot as far as government goes. I mean, Nero takes Christians and he bathes them in oil and then lights them on fire as garden lamps. Read history. That's just one of the things he did to people who followed Jesus. Who's the those? It could be anyone. Anyone. And if you look at Jesus' life and you think about what happens to him, Jesus lives his life perfectly here on earth. He interacts perfectly with people. He he speaks to people perfectly. He does everything exactly perfect. And what did they do to Jesus? They killed him. They killed him. And out of the 12 guys that are following, that are appointed as apostles, 11 of them, 11 of them continue to follow Jesus. One decides, you know what, it's not worth it. And he cashes in on his relationship with Jesus. And if you read about Judas's life, you realize, you know what, your bad decision led to another bad decision, which led to another bad decision, and it did not end well for him. But some might say the same thing about those that follow Jesus. Because the reality is, is those 11 guys, and then Matthias after them, those 12 were all killed for their belief and for their following of Jesus. And in some really messed up, brutal ways. You can read about it in Hebrews chapter 11. So what's your perspective? 
What's, what's, what's going to be your choice when pressed? Because the reality is, every single one of us will face persecution. The question must become then, is living for Jesus worth it? Is living for Jesus worth it? Well, number one, I think that depends on who or what you're living for. If you notice in verse 10 and verse 11, what does he say? Blessed are those who are persecuted for what? For righteousness' sake. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. What's Jesus saying to them? If you decide to live for me, if you decide to be right, remember we said righteousness, right withness. If you decide to be right with God and right with other people, if you decide to follow me, Jesus says, on my account, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to have people revile you. You're going to have people who are going to stand up against you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And, and so he says that it's, it's for my sake, it's for righteousness' sake, it's on my account. And these individuals are living for Jesus and the, the persecution comes as a result of living for Jesus. Notice it doesn't say that it's for your conscience' sake. Or for your conviction's sake. Or for your ordinary trouble's sake. Notice it doesn't say you're being persecuted because you're obnoxious and offensive and rude. And because you bring trouble on yourself. There was a guy who was stopped at a stoplight. And a car pulled up behind him and began to honk his horn. And the guy was honking his horn, just kept honking his horn, kept honking his horn. And the guy who's in the front car is getting ticked off. There's a long light. And he's getting mad. He's getting more mad. He finally gets out of his car. And he goes up to the guy behind him. He's like, what is your problem? And he just starts laying into the guy. And the guy rolls down his window. He's like, he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But I was reading your bumper sticker. And it says, honk if you love Jesus. I love Jesus. Do you? Do you love Jesus? And the guy sheeplessly walks away and gets back into his car. Y'all, we cannot say we're persecuted when we're bringing the persecution upon ourselves because of our own ignorance and our own attitude and our own reactions and our own actions toward other people. We are living, what he says is the persecution will come because you're deciding to live right with God and right with other people. And on my account, Jesus says. Go back to Philippians. I'm going to add verse 20 into this because Paul writes, and this is a guy who's well acquainted with persecution. You read about Paul there's some messed up stuff that happens to that guy. And yet, look what he says, Philippians 1, 20 and 21, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether it's by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about that. He doesn't want to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He wants to live for Jesus and so much so that he's willing to die for Jesus. I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to say, God, here is my life. And the reason that he could do that is because he had determined who or what he was living for. And for him, it was all about Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ. So it depends on who or what are you living for. It depends on what you expect is going to happen. If you live for Jesus, what do you expect is going to be the result? Verse 10 says, you will be persecuted. You'll be persecuted. If you follow after me for righteousness sake, you're going to be persecuted. Verse 11, you're going to have those who will revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, notice what it says, it doesn't say might be, it doesn't say could be, it says will be persecuted. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. 1 John 3, 14, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. How could John write that? How could John write don't be surprised if the world hates you. Because he heard Jesus say, and, and he recorded it in John chapter 15. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Why does the world hate you as a follower of Jesus? Because you stand for everything that Jesus stands for. You stand for the word of God. You stand for and you act like and you react like Jesus. And the world hates that. Why? Because Satan hates it. And Satan is the God of this world who is orchestrating and moving and, and, and manipulating and deceiving people into believing that what he has to offer is truth and what God has to offer is a lie. Don't follow God, follow me. And he offers to them life. And when you stand for Jesus, it's everything opposite of what Satan stands for. So John can write and say, don't be surprised. The world's going to hate you. The world's going to hate you. Why? Because it hates Jesus. It hates Jesus. It's interesting, one person said this, to put it another way, you might say that persecution is a sign that your life is right in the eyes of God and of the world. Think about that. Maybe the reason that persecution comes is because it's a sign that you're doing it right when it comes to your relationship with God. And God sees that. And the world sees that. So, what are you expecting if you follow Jesus? And then thirdly, it depends on your soul's perspective. It depends on your soul's perspective. Verse 10 and, and verse 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I'll get it out. For what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, your reward is great in heaven. 
What's their perspective? What's their soul's perspective? It's not, I'm living for what I can get out of this world. It's not, I'm living so that I'm comfortable. It's not, I'm living so that, that I can have everything I want. It's not, I, I, I'm, I'm living so that I'm doing what I'm doing so that, so that, that I can be happy and joyful and, and just have everything and still just be at peace. No, 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 look at what 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, and he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. What's the perspective of your soul? There's a man, his name is Jim Elliott. <clears throat> Jim Elliott was a young man, went to school at Wheaton uh, College, and, and uh, just loved the Lord. And uh, I, I would encourage you, one of the great reads that, that I've ever read in my life is Jim Elliott's journal. And uh, it's incredible. I know our church library has it. Uh, there's some other resources that our church library has. Another one that the library over here doesn't have but is an incredible book is called Shadow of the Almighty. And uh, those of you that like to read, I would strongly encourage you to, to, to read that. Um, the End of the Spear is a movie. Uh, Beyond the Gates of Splendor is another movie uh, about Jim Elliott. But Jim Elliott and his buddies graduated from college, and their desire was to reach unreached people groups. And so they began to pray about and ask God to lead them, and God led them to the rainforests in, in uh, South America, and they came across a, a group of people that someone had, had identified and called, the Aka, called them the Aka Indians. And, uh, and they began to do flyovers and drop things and, and, uh, and, and just trying to make peace with this people and kind of introduce themselves to this people. Well, one day they decided to land. There was a strip of land along the, the, the river, and they decided to land on that strip, and they got out of the plane. And as they were getting out of the plane, they began to be approached by these people and what they didn't realize was that it was a war party that was there, and they were going to kill them. And that's exactly what happened. All of them died, including Jim Elliott. But if you read and you continue to hear and you continue to listen to the rest of the story, the beauty of the rest of the story is, is that God uses that incident, God uses this, this, their willingness to give their lives for the lives of other people God uses that to turn the heart and the entire, the entire tribe puts their faith and trust in Jesus. And Jim says this, very, very famous saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Perspective. Soul perspective. He was willing to lay down his life for a people that he never met so that they could hear a Jesus that they had never met. And the beauty of the story is, is that those people, every one of them, put their faith and trust in Jesus. What would happen if Jesus 
hadn't been persecuted? What would happen if the apostles had not been persecuted? We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have a Savior. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have an understanding of who God is. We wouldn't have an, a, a saving knowledge of that our sins can be forgiven and that we can have life and we can have it abundant and that we can know a God who would never turn his back on us and will love us no matter what. If Jesus hadn't been persecuted, if Jesus hadn't been willing to lay his life down, if those apostles weren't willing to lay their lives down, If people like Jim Elliott and others that have gone before us weren't willing to lay their lives down, where would we be? And reality is is that you may very well choose to serve and live for Jesus and lay your life down, and it may be that your family and your friends and others may come to know Jesus because you willingly say, I'm going to live for Christ no matter what the cost. No matter what happens, I'm going to live for for Jesus. And I love what Acts 5 says. The apostles, they had been arrested and they had been brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, which was a, uh, which was a religious body of individuals, they told them, stop doing what you're doing, and they flogged them. If you don't know what flogging is, you need to read about it. It's nasty. They got flogged and then released and told, don't ever preach in the name of Jesus again. And I love, I love Acts 5.41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And you know what the very next part of that verse says? They went out and they continued to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere they went. Those guys are like, you guys, aren't, you guys are not deterring us. Because our eyes are not fixed on what you can do to our bodies. Our eyes are fixed on what Jesus did for us. And we're going to live for him. You say, well, what now? What should I do now? 1 Peter chapter 3. We don't have really time to turn there, but I want you to hear something from it that's so, so vital. Verse 15 well, actually, verse 14, let's go back. It says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But listen to this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Question. If you were arrested for following Jesus, if you were arrested for following Jesus, y'all, y'all we, we, need to, we need to let God change our perspective because I think we think in this country of America that we're somehow as Christians above this. Um, I hate to break it to you, but the reality of someone busting in here and arresting every single one of us for putting our faith and trust in Jesus is becoming more and more a reality 
in this country. And if you think we're above it, you need to take yourself out of our country and go someplace else and see that it's happening today, every day, every moment of every day. People are being arrested and put in prison, and even worse, for simply saying the name of Jesus. Simply preaching the name of Jesus, and they're being thrown into prison and executed even for just saying the name of Jesus. And that's happening today. And so if we think that somehow in America we're above that, we better be careful because I'm pretty sure the Bible, and I think I read this somewhere, pride comes before a fall. So, so it may very likely in our lifetime be every one of us is arrested for following Jesus. And if that happens, is there enough evidence to convict you that you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ. I cannot answer that for you, but ultimately it's going to come back to, is living for Jesus worth it? Is living for Jesus worth it? I'm so thankful that Jesus decided it was worth it. That the apostles decided that it was worth it. That, that people throughout time and through history have decided it was worth it and they continued to live for Jesus no matter what anybody else told them, no matter who treated them poorly or did something to their body. They continued to worship and live for the one true living God. What will you, what will I decide? Because if we really want to make a difference in this world, a decision has got to be made. Because here's the deal, if you're living for anything other than Jesus, there's no way on earth, no way on earth you're saying, yes, come, do what you want to me, I'm living for Jesus. And you can take my body, but you cannot take my soul. You will not say that to anyone. You will not stand up for God. Why, why on earth would you even, if you didn't believe that Jesus was the way, truth, and life, why would you come to church? I mean, honestly. Is there not better things that you could potentially do with your time, like sleep or drink coffee or something like that? I mean, really. Why come and worship God? Why come and be with a bunch of people you don't even know, and that some people you don't like, and other people you do like? Why would you bother to do that? Is living for Jesus worth it? Can't answer that for you. But here's what I know. If you don't know Jesus then I know you know the answer is no. That's what you're saying to yourself. Because there's no way. There's no way possible that if you don't know Jesus, you're going, yes, I want to live for him. And maybe you're here today, and, and, and God is just, man, you're feeling the knock at your heart's door, and God is just going, let me in. I want to change your perspective. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes by your head. Again, I don't know your heart, don't know your soul. I don't need to. God does. That's all that matters, to be honest with you. But maybe you're here today and you're going, you know, I don't know Jesus. Well, in just a little bit, there's going to be some people up here at the front. There's going to be some people at the back. What they want to do is just want to pray with you. If you're here today and you go, you know, I don't know Jesus, but I want to, you don't have to come forward in order to know Jesus. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus right where you're at. You can even ask somebody that's right near you. 
or maybe the person that brought you today, tell me about Jesus, and they'll tell you about Jesus. Maybe you're here today, and you're going, you know, I don't, I don't know, I want to be able to say yes. I want to I be able to say that there's, there's enough evidence in my life that, that if I was arrested for being a follower of Jesus, that I would be convicted. I, I, I want that to be true. Maybe you're struggling with something, I don't know. That's why we're up here is to pray with you, not to judge you, not to shame you. Maybe there's somebody next to you you can turn to and say, hey, would you pray for me? You don't have to share your name. You don't have to share what it is. You can just ask them to pray and they'll do it. But as we sing this song and as we stand, would you be willing to just let God do real business with your heart and your soul? Would you be honest with him? and honest with yourself. Father, thank you that no matter what we do in this next moment, you still love us. You still care deeply for us, and that's not going to change. No matter what, no matter what we decide in these moments, it's not going to change. There's nothing we can do to earn your love. There's nothing we can do to repel your love. You love us completely, totally, your head over heels for us. God, thanks. Thanks for your love. Thank you for your salvation that you offer through your son.